have you ever struggled with what to feed your kids and not just figuring out what they might like and what's good for them, but do you have the question of if this food is right or wrong or good or bad? Um, is it helping them? In today's episode, we are going to talk about the amorality of food and how to understand to apply what the context of scripture is to your individual life. So we'll talk about how food doesn't have morality, but the context in which food is used gives the moral judgment according to the standard of scripture. And then what that looks like in your life and how to be best um, drop guilt unnecessary guilt, we should say, so that you can enjoy food the way that God has meant it to be enjoyed. Welcome to Milk and Me, a podcast about the Bible, food, and motherhood. I'm your host, Dina Marie, and I cannot wait to dive into today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is Nina Marie, and welcome to the Milk and Meat podcast, where you will receive nourishment for your soul and body. I am Nina Marie, and today's uh, episode, episode three, is called Food is Amoral. So, what is amorality? Amorality is having no question of right or wrong, good or bad, moral or immoral. So in other words, a thing can have no quality of goodness or badness in the moral sense in and of itself. And food is one of those things. So alone, food is just food. It's not good. It's not bad. Um, How one uses food is when morality comes into play. And so... One way that we can see this is in 1 Corinthians 6.13. That passage says that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one with the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, the point of this passage is that food is to fill our stomach, nothing more and nothing less. And even sex, as this passage points out, can be understood in these terms. Um, sex in and of itself is an amoral thing. The context in which sex is practiced is what brings about the moral judgment about whether it is moral or immoral, good or bad, good or evil, however you want to describe it. Um, And it is context that dictates when most things, not all things, some things are outright immoral, um, are moral or immoral. And sex outside the marriage covenant is immoral, as described in scripture. Sex in the marriage bed is moral and good. Sex in and of itself is not a sinful act. It's the context that will dictate as much. And so I want us to understand that the same is with food. Or you can even think of the passage of scripture where most people think it's money is the root of all evil, but the passage is actually quoted or the correct quote of that passage is that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so even then, money is an amoral thing, but the usage or how one um, implies or implores money is what can be 
dictated or judged as good or evil because money can be used for good. Just because you have money doesn't mean that you are evil and having no money doesn't make you more holy. We have seen unholy, evil things done by both poor and rich. And so I want us to understand that food has that same kind of principle. Food is God's blessing to man to fill and to nourish our bodies. God's blessing to you as a mother, right? And what we do with food, the context in which we consume it, how we use it and share it, is what God judges as good or evil in his scriptures. And so the main two contexts on sin with food are typically gluttony and drunkenness. And both are the overconsumption of a good thing. Um, It is self-indulgence. It's when one's goal in life uh, for happiness is satisfying sensual pleasures, sensual in the sense of like all your senses. Um, Their God is their belly, Philippians 3.19 says. So gluttony and drunkenness are examples of a loss of self-control and enslavement to something that we're not to be enslaved to. And that is when we can use statements like this is good or bad when it comes around the topic of food. It's also interesting to note that the stomach and feeding it is one of our most basic needs. One need so basic that God created an entire garden for the first humans and commanded them to eat. Eating is a good thing and it's context that matters. In the first few chapters of Genesis, we see that very reality. It's God commanding Adam and Eve to eat whatever they wanted except for the tree in the middle of the garden. The context was dictated by the one who created both the stomach and the food for it. It was perfectly fine and good to eat in the garden, but it was completely wrong and forbidden to eat from one specific tree. The author of a book called Tasting Grace puts it this way, food was central to man's first obedience and disobedience. And in my last episode, Um, I was talking about the spiritual and nutritional conformity. And in there, we talked about pleasure. And pleasure has parameters in God's kingdom. And freedom comes when restraint is a virtue, not with a no-holds-bar kind of lifestyle. And so the presence of food or eating it is not an issue. Um, it's, It's amoral. It's what humans do with it that becomes a moral issue. Obedience and disobedience are the moral issues. And so eating food is necessary for life. And eating is actually a fulfillment of the sixth commandment. Now, this might take some explanation because you're probably thinking I'm, I'm too crazy here. So the sixth commandment is the command to not murder. And so we're not to take life or end life that is not ours to take. And so what do we do? Is it simply just not murdering, um, I would go out on a limb and say no, that part of the fulfillment of that command is that in place of not murdering, we protect all life. We protect the life of man and our life is included in that. Therefore, eating satisfies, in a sense, that part of the law um, because we are caring for our body and protecting our life. And so God isn't asking us to starve ourselves, which is very different from fasting, and fasting will be tackled in another episode. Um, So he doesn't ask us to starve ourselves in order to prove that we're moral. We aren't to fall into that trap of 
Gnosticism, like some of the early church followers were being um, trapped into or uh, being taught the false teachings, where Gnosticism preaches that the body is naturally evil and that our spirits are imprisoned in the body. Our bodies are not an illusion. Our bodies are created by God for us. And Psalm 139 tells us of the reality that the God of the Bible has formed our inward parts, which would include that stomach of ours, and that we are intricately woven together by him. Our bodies are a gift, and we are to honor God in them. And and the physical body is so important because if you think about Jesus in the incarnation, this is how we know that the physical body is not an evil thing, just to continue to... Uh, throw away the false teaching of Gnosticism. Like the God of the universe took on flesh and he ate food and he ate food to care for himself. And he cared for himself to the very point of the death on the cross where he gave his spirit up uh, because no one could take it from him. And so I just want to reiterate that caring for our bodies is a privilege and a God-given right and a sign of obedience in which we honor the Lord in caring for what he has given us. It's a form of stewardship. Um, and then from that, God also, so he, he doesn't ask us to starve ourselves because that would not be uh, appropriate. Uh, but he also does not make allowance for the pure enjoyment of all foods, any times, at all times, etc. You know, we are not to fall into the trap of hedonism. The trap that preaches that the highest aim or the highest good in life is pleasure. It's not. The highest aim in life is to submit to the commands of the scriptures. It is to glorify God. It is to be fully what we were meant to be, which is um, children of the Father. And so repentance is what brings that about. And hedonism is a trap. It just, it just, it, what's the word I'm looking for? It twists the goodness of pleasure. And so God called what he made good, right? And he made man, and it was very good, and they were to eat. And then the serpent comes to Eve in Genesis 3 and points out the fruit of the tree that she's not supposed to eat. And Eve noted that that fruit was pleasing to the eye. And food is supposed to be pleasing. It's supposed to be pleasurable to us. Um, just looking at it brought about enjoyment for her. And I mean, that happens to us as well. I mean, the sight and smell of food can kickstart your digestive system. Digestion starts in your brain. That's how God designed it. We're supposed to look at food and all of those physiological functions are supposed to work and, and move forward in that way. Um, and so pleasure is not the problem. It's the context in which pleasure is experienced that can be the problem. Um, but just because our bodies respond to external stimuli doesn't mean that we are to indulge them, right? Um, external stimuli is not the problem. The fact that God created food and prohibited some of that food is not the problem. Our response to the external stimuli, how we handle external things, those are where the potential problems lie. We either respond in a way that aligns with what God has commanded and deemed good, or we don't.
So God doesn't demand starvation, nor does he allow for uncontrolled indulgence. In fact, he doesn't ask us to do anything to prove that we're moral because he knows that we never could. This is why we celebrate Christmas and this is why we celebrate Easter. We cannot fulfill the holy standards of scripture, but he could and he did on behalf of his people. And what God is commanding is that we would put food in its place. Food is not to be our God. It's not something that we should be obsessing over. And when we eat or drink uncontrollably, we exemplify that that loss of control for a meal or a drink is the highest satisfaction we can pursue or enjoy. When in reality, the highest satisfaction we can pursue or enjoy comes from obedience to a good and sweet and kind and merciful and loving Father. Nothing compares. And that highest good actually comes from exhibiting self-control by denying um, our flesh the opportunity to sin or to do things that are disobedient to the commands in scripture. That is where the highest satisfaction comes. Nothing compares to that. Um, and so by understanding these big theological things about food, I want us to be able to em- employ them in our daily lives. And with that said, the language we use regarding dietary choices needs to align with that reality. Um, you hear a lot of noise around good foods and bad foods. Eating carbs is bad. Eating fat for so long was was bad. <laughs> eating carbs is not bad. And eating fat is not bad. Gluten is not bad. And sugar is not bad. And I know this might sound strange coming from my mouth or strange in comparison to many things that you have heard before. But my hope is that I would not be one of those people who assists in what is called diet culture. Diet culture just does not put food in its place. Diet culture uh, obsesses over food and And almost to the point where it's kind of like worship because it's all you can think about and all you can like muster any energy over. Like it's, it's, it's out of place at the very, very least. Right. And so diet culture often glorifies weight loss as its ultimate goal, the end all be all. It can worship the reality of being thin and it equates being thin to health. And I would posit that on top of that, diet culture miss uh, positions food. The language in diet culture is often language that employs words like good or bad. And if you have heard me describe my relationship with foods or various foods, I always use the terms serve and do not serve. Because food in this fallen world, and this, I'm going to get a little historical here, post-agricultural, big food, chemical revolution world can be a disservice to us. And because our bodies are fallen, they lack proper function to do what God created them to do. And so the foods that serve me could very well be foods that don't serve you. And see, my training as a functional nutritional therapy practitioner has taught me well that every single body has bio-individuality. That's like a buzzword for biological individuality. And when one person's body can respond to a food 
it is possible that another person responds negatively. So I, I do fine with dairy, you don't. You may do fine with um, sourdough bread, I might not. And so we need to understand that there's bio-individuality and that is part of the reality of living in a fallen world as well as understanding that our bodies go through different changes and, and there are different contexts. So even one person's body can respond to a food and have different food needs depending on life circumstances. So for example, a woman trying to get pregnant has different food needs from a postpartum woman recovering from birth and breastfeeding her baby, right? A man who ran marathons or was a bodybuilder but is now retired and enjoy, enjoys long walks has different food needs. Um, maybe you've developed a chronic illness and you're going to have different food needs from when you didn't have that chronic illness. And so food can serve you or not serve you. And the amount of macronutrients are dependent on your body's needs. And so some people do well on higher carb diets and others don't. Um, being able to discern what your body needs requires commitment and discernment. And just to throw it out there, I am more than happy to help with that. I've got some tricks up my sleeve. Please feel free to email me at ninamarie at momwheel.org and we can get you up set up on a consultation. All right, so the morality of food or diet culture comes in the how much often more than anything else. So are you eating too much and or are you eating too little? Now, I know the too little question can open a can of worms called worldwide hunger. But the thrust of my point here is intentionality. Um, you are held responsible for what you do, not what's out of your control. And there are so many people who over and under eat intentionally. And overeating out of habit or emotion or pleasure, or there's under eating out of emotion or pursuit of the decades version of the ideal body and this is where what you are doing with food becomes a moral or immoral issue and we are to care for the bodies God has gifted us with to the best of our ability and many do not seek to understand what that means often it's widely accepted that simply eating food is enough and that if you're not obese then you must be doing well and I'm here to tell you that you can look like a cover girl and still sin with food whether with gluttony or starvation, there is a clear breaking of God's law and he has deemed that immoral. And so God is the standard of morality. We do not get to pick and choose what we want to define as good and not bad. That is a tough, tough pill to swallow because we don't like not being in the driver's seat. But I'm going to tell you the truth. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't like not being in the driver's seat. Truth is truth, whether you believe it or not. And I hope and pray that you would pursue truth and submit to truth at all costs. Um, now, I know that it's possible that someone listening to me is saying, no, Nina Marie, you're just playing with semantics. My response is, oops, um, no, no, I'm not. Another example from scripture to show you that I'm not is the consumption of meat offered to idols, as again described in 1 Corinthians. 
I like this is like a go-to letter in the Bible for examples. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> so in chapter 8 of this letter, we hear from Paul sharing with the believers in Corinth about sacrifices made to idols. And in this chapter, he states, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Verse 8. To which he follows up saying, But take care that the right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That's verse 9. So he furthers the point that context matters. You can eat the meat. Those idols aren't real, so the sacrifices were in vanity. Why waste the food? Just eat it. But don't eat that meat if you are in the presence of a fellow brother or sister who had a background in the occult and cannot handle such a thought. He ends the chapter by saying, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That's verse 13. We're called to build each other up, and that is the higher good. That is the higher good that we pursue, even with food. We glorify God and love our fellow siblings in Christ. That's the highest good. And how does food fit in that? There's so many examples of hospitality in scripture. Um, I, I often love the end of John when Jesus is resurrected and the disciples haven't met him yet post like um, death. They're out on a boat fishing, right? Because that's their life. And Jesus is on the shore and he calls to them, right? And Peter goes and jumps into the water and swims to shore because he like he was not going to wait for the boat to get there like he was just gonna do everything he could to reach to Jesus and what the first thing he did was eat eating is a good thing we are supposed to eat um and so that is how food fits in it it can look just as different as your biological individuality that's the beauty of the principles in scripture is it will take you commitment and discernment to know how to use food in the kingdom for kingdom work because the principles of scripture can have a myriad of applications and it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to know in our context how to apply his principles. And so just like with our own bodies, in order to understand what foods serve us and what foods don't, we need commitment and discernment. We need to be able to pay attention to what our body how our body responds to foods and, and to take a scientific eye, so to speak, in order to best care for ourselves. But that same commitment and discernment is necessary in order to know how to use food for kingdom work. And we can serve one another with food. And this is, this is the application point. <laughs> this is Nina Marie's little nugget of truth for you in order to apply today. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God.